Well, I brought my handkerchief. Ah. God's been healing my heart a lot, and I am so grateful. And I know I'm not the only one. I just want to recap something I noticed in worship. In the beginning of worship, but I think it was the second song, we were, think, we were singing about God confront the things that, that I think are normal. Right? I'm going to butcher these lyrics. I'm sorry, Hillary. Um, but really, just asking God to confront our comfort zone. And how fitting is that, that we ask God to confront our comfort zone, and by the end of the service, our children are waving flags over people. I mean, you can't get much more bizarre than that, probably, <laughs> right? <laughs> right? And, and, it, and if you have, a, um, if you have a, an idea in your head or your heart of what worship is supposed to look like, that could confront you a little bit, right? Um, one of the things God has, has put on my heart when we talk about, I am always with you, when the Father says that, I am always with you, he was with us during the unflattering times too. And that's been something I've been praying through this week, you know, that time that I said that thing that was angry or, or unloving, and, that, and God was with me then. And as a father, you know, that hurts me to know that I hurt my father like that. Um, one, of the, one of the ways I've been challenged at this church specifically, more than any other area, has been the worship. Not that it's bad or that it's wrong, or even that it would be wrong if you didn't like the worship, right? We're, we're all here to worship God and have a personal connection to God, but I, whenever I worship with my children specifically and I bring them in the room to worship, I get to choose the songs, <laughs> right? So I choose songs that are fun, they're dancey, and they're not Hillary's songs always or Bill's songs or who always. And so this is, this is not an attack on Bill or Hillary or anyone who's chosen the songs, but more of a recognition that I had to sort out with my Heavenly Father that with some fear and trembling, um, I know you're speaking to her. And I know you're speaking to Bill. So why am I having a problem worshiping right now? I, this is something that's confronted me a lot, and I know I'm not the only one, so I just I want to repent for me. Right? And I have. But it's still something that, in my mind, is hard sometimes, you know? So again, welcome. <laughs> I just dropped a little bit of heavy on everybody. Uh, but that's, that's what I've, I've had to wrestle out of my heart and not allow the customs of, of my past worship affect a relationship right now between me and God when he could have been using my children to minister to people, right? But if I was too bound up to let him do that, see, there's there's so much what there's so much going on in in the Holy Spirit realm that we don't understand where where God is trying to have a conversation with us. And it's and it's, and it's a one sided conversation sometimes. And it breaks my heart. Right. Does it, I mean, do you understand that? Like when you sit down with a two year old or a three year old and you try and talk to him about son. 
in heaven right now, the angels are singing Hosanna, and you are kicking me in the shin. Right? <laughs> right? It's a one-sided conversation, and, and he's going to hear, you know, one-tenth of what you're trying to say, and it's going to feel futile, and you might want to lose your temper sometimes as an adult. I've never done that. Um, yeah. <laughs> I don't know why my computer was not opening the... There we go. So my number one goal today is to... Let's, let's get rid of the one-sided conversation, right? That's been the number one prayer here. The things that Stacy's been peeling off about our paradigm, remember I talked about paradigms a while back, is a little bit like a warped pair of sunglasses, right? We look through that, and that's our normal. This is the right way to worship Hillary, <laughs> right? <laughs> this, is, this is what happens. We get this self-righteous view in our mind of, like, this is what right looks like. This is how to worship. This is how it, all these little things that we build in our heart, and God's not there, right? All right, I'm done going off script for a minute. We have a custom in our house. I, I take one of my kids to do things as often as I can, and sometimes it's a one-sided conversation. But the most important thing about it is it is daddy time, right? It's dad time. And my kids know it's special. I know it's special. We make it as special as we can, but it's honestly just usually just an errand to Lowe's because that's my favorite store. Or I can build things, right? And we call it daddy time. And when we pray, we've been instructed by the perfect teacher, the perfect son who's never had a gap. See, Jesus never had a gap in his relationship with his father. He doesn't have, he didn't, when he was on this earth, he didn't have the wrong paradigm, pair of glasses on to see his father. Right? There was never any gap. He understood so he understood the Father's perspective of us more truly than we ever have. And the Father has never had a gap in his understanding of who we are. So I thank you, Father, for helping us remove these glasses. I had, just to give a, another quick example, I had an experience one time where I was flying in a flight super early in the morning, and I, so I wasn't very um, talkative. And it, normally I can, you know, make friends with pretty much anybody in a few minutes and or at least, you know, have a, you know, rational conversation with them on a flight. But I, I didn't this flight and it was pretty quiet. And then almost the end of the flight, I think there might have been like 20 minutes left. The guy starts talking to me and I'd, I whatever I'd, I'd kind of shut it off in my heart. I just was I don't know what I was doing. Anyways, the guy starts talking to me. Hey, what do you do? What do you? I'm like, OK, I don't know you. Yeah, I'm, I you know, I teach people things. I, you know. Uh, medicine sometimes I was, I was being pretty brief and he was like oh I'm the force comm commander <laughs> that's like a three or four star general right he's in charge of an entire command uh, like an entire think of like the entire region of the US right it's a big deal but because he wasn't wearing a uniform, we were both traveling, you know, plain clothes. Because I wasn't wearing a uniform, neither one of us had a reference point to give the proper military regard, the proper um, honors, if you will, right? And I would, I would push the, let's look at the exact opposite side of that coin. We know God's rank, and we know his position, but we don't know 
his heart for us. We don't know his intimacy for us. The children of Israel followed a cloud and a flame through the wilderness, and they knew there was a God. But did they know that, they, that he loved them and that he would not consider it blasphemous to call him father? God's perspective on us has never changed. He has always thought of us as his children. When he created us in the beginning, there was never any change in his heart. And this is, this has been a source of great healing for me, so I hope you can get this. Like, I'll give the example uh, Holy Spirit gave me. We fostered a son for a good few years, and it broke our hearts, right? We thought we were going to adopt him. We tried. It was a lot. There was a lot that went into this. There was a lot of travail. It was a lot of pain. But every time I think of him, he's my son, even though he's not with us right now. He's with another family. And that, I know you can feel, you can feel the hurt there to that, but imagine God as he walked through the wilderness with his people. He didn't look at them as you generation of screw-ups, even though he had to address them as you generation of people who have rejected me. It hurt him so much because he looked at them as a son. That never went away. Pull up um, Genesis chapter 3, verses, verse 15, or if you want to just write it down. Real simple verse. He tells the serpent, he says, I'm going to put enmity between you and the woman. So for anyone who says, who, who wants to, you know, entertain the lie that the Bible is written by a bunch of chauvinists, God addressed the woman and he said, your children are going to have war with the devil. So she was included. She had a very important part to play. But who gets to decide who is the seed of the woman and who is the seed of the devil? It sounds like God decided right then. He said, because her seed is going to step on your head. You're going to bruise his heel, but he's going to step on your head. So God decided right then that you're my child. Every child you have from now forward, woman, is going to be my child if they choose to be. Right? That, right? So God never changed his perspective of us. If I, if I were doing, you know, something that I said I was, that was, God was healing me with and I, was, and I was repenting for God's people, I could say, God, I'm sorry for the time that, that I killed my brother Abel. I know you were there with me. Like, think about all the terrible times God, God's people let him down is what I'm getting at. Think about all those times God was there having a one-sided conversation. Don't do it. Don't do it. How do we change the one-sided conversation? What was the difference between <clears throat> the generation of the woman, the seed of the woman, and the seed of God's people? 
I'm sorry, let's see the devils. <laughs> generation of the woman or the generation of the devil. In Revelations, if you want to just jot it down, we won't go there right now. In Generations 2, verse 9, and 3, verse 9, he calls the synagogue of Satan, the church of Satan, those who say that they are God's chosen people but are not. So we get to choose who we worship. We get to choose who we call Father. Go with me to John chapter 8, verse 34. And I just closed my reference page. So give me one second. I'm going to pull it up here too. So Jesus gives an example. He says, truly I say to you, everyone who practices sin is a slave to sin. So we get to choose, do we want to be in the synagogue of Satan or the synagogue of God? And God's house is a house of worship, a house of communion. But it's also a house of freedom. Let's listen to what he says. The slave does not remain in the house forever. He will, he will be, he'll be gone, right? The son remains forever. So if the son sets you free, you will no longer be a slave. That's what he said, right? He said, you'll be free indeed. We, well, that's how we remember this. But what he's, listen to the one-sided conversation that Jesus is having with the Pharisees. You're a slave right now. I want to save you. You belong to your father, the devil. I want to save you. Listen to me. And it says, even, even in this chapter, later on in this chapter, it says there were several who believed on him right then. Their hearts were pricked. They had to be confronted in their mess. They had to be confronted and told, you're believing a lie. You think worship looks like this. But this is the house of freedom. I don't want to have a one-sided conversation with you. I want to be father and son. Jesus said, I am here to demonstrate who the father is. Because you have a messed up version of what a father is. They answered him, Abraham is our father. Who are you? You're the son of a harlot. And many of them still believe that if they have not allowed their hearts to be pricked. One thing that's very important, and I'll get back on my notes. One thing that's very, very important about what we're learning about the kingdoms of Israel, the people who still worship the ancient religion, we're not better than they are. And Stacy covered that very well. The book of Hebrews, the book of Romans, like they covers that very well. We cannot boast against the tree that God made that gives life, the tree of life that Jesus personified. We cannot boast against that. But the choice is there for them, just like it is for us. And there is, we need to recognize that the world that we're in right now is a world that has gained notoriety in nearly every realm by pitting people against each other. Race, sex, religion, color, you name it. So, of course, the people that you can find, and, and this is why I'm warning about this, the, the, the websites and the forums and the places that you can find the most information about the, the, the Talmud or Israel and all these different things, they all have a slant. 
And I'm not talking about pro-Palestine, pro-Israel. I'm, I'm not talking about pro-communist, pro-Nazi. I'm talking about all of it. Remember my message a while back was, was on how the Nazis actually embraced Christianity, but because they were just using Christianity as a means to an end, were they Christian? Of course not. Their fruits proved that they were not, right? But the communists, they, they embraced pure godlessness. There is no God. And the reason why this is such an important warning is because all of those old stumbling blocks are being resurrected as we get closer to the end. And all of the old stumbling blocks have been prophesied from the very, very, uh, a long time ago, I think what was Alfred Pike's book? 1871? Yeah, 1870-something. And they were, they were prophesied by their seers, the satanic seers. And we know Isaiah 48, he said, I've said these things from the beginning so that you can't say my gods did this. So we're going back to the Pharisees. Jesus is inviting them in. He's saying, you don't have to follow. Worship looks like this. You don't have to be a part of a covenant that stones the children anymore. Like the children that don't, the children that don't listen, the sons that are disobedient. Come listen to me. Let me tell you about the Father's love. If God were your father, you would love me because I came from God. You are doing the works that your father did. If God were your father, you would love me for I came from God and am here. I am not of my own accord, but he sent me. Why don't you understand what I say? If you're, if you're ministering to a Talmudic Jew, if you're ministering to a, a Baptist, a Protestant, a whatever, name it, and they don't hear what you have to say, this is what Jesus says. It's because you cannot bear to hear my word. You are, are of your father, the devil, and your will is to do your father's desires. That's hard. That's really hard to hear. So I'm going to rewind that a little bit. Jesus is saying, if you can't hear my words, it's because you're of your father, the devil. Does that mean that if you're speaking to a Talmudic Jew, a Protestant, a Roman Catholic, you name it, does that mean they are of their father, the devil, if they don't hear you? It could be. It could be. If you are preaching the gospel, if you're sharing the gospel and someone's closed off to it, it could be that that's what they've chosen. But listen, listen to the words Jesus chose. He said, your will is to do your father's desires. The things that you want are overriding the invitation that the father has put out there. This is my message today. Our desire has to be for relationship with the father. It can't be the comfort that we get that this church has it right. It can't be the comfort that we get that, by God, Trump is president and he is, he's finally going to do the things we want it done. I, I firmly believe God used Trump. Absolutely. But we can't get our comfort from that. And I've said that over and over again. I know. Or it can't be Biden or whoever else. Because all of these things are tools of the enemy as well. I have dear friends 
that have a deep trust that maybe the Nazis had something right. How do you minister to that? But you have to recognize the fact that those people, like God wants relationship with them. I have a dear brother who's a firm communist. How do you minister to someone who wants to follow an atheistic religion disguised as a government ideology? You can't. I can't. This is what needs to be recognized. You and I cannot. Jesus said that by my love, people are brought to repentance, right? By my love, they're brought to repentance. So you and I, it is our job to break bread with them, to repent for them. What, what did the priests do that they couldn't do with unbelievers? They broke the bread and they offered sacrifice. You and I have a much deeper relationship than the priest did if we choose to enter that relationship. Go with me to, this is off of my script, so I'm gonna, it's going to take a minute. Open uh, the Bible to Mark 16. Go to the end of the chapter, please. Uh, this might be the wrong one. I'm sorry. I think it's the end of the cha- of uh, the book of John. I will find it for you before the end of this. But at the end of the of the book, where Jesus is appearing to his disciples, one of the things that he said that really piqued my attention was he said, "Whoever sins, you remit, are remitted." Nice. Got it. <laughs> Think about that for a second. Jesus said, whoever sins you remit are remitted for them. That's kind of mind-blowing, right? He's telling you that you're able to act as a priest. Like, listen to what Jesus just told them. He said, you can't hear my words because you want the things of the devil. You want the things that are comfortable to you because that's what you're used to in the house, the synagogue of Satan, right, is what they were called. How do we get through to someone whose will is to be in the house of Satan, the synagogue of Satan? We have to ask for their forgiveness. None of what Jesus did, I I want you to think about, before God sent the king of kings to the earth, he sent a priest to baptize them all. Before God sent the progenitor to the king of kings, David, he sent a priest to intercede for the children of Israel, Samuel. You are put in the office, according to God's word, of kings and priests. That means, to use an army, Example, you have the judicial branch as a king, and you have the execution, or sorry, other way around, judicial, meaning you get to intercede for the people as a priest, and you get to execute as the king. 
excuse me, trying not to cry. It clogs up my uh, passageway sometimes. So think about this for a second. You and I, if we want to reach people who are currently enemies of Christ, like we once were, like we can still choose to be, we have to intercede for them, is what I'm getting at. Now, which, hang on a second, the reason you do not hear them is because you are not of God. Okay, I already said that, sorry. Going back to my notes. It sounds like Jesus is having a one-sided conversation with the Pharisees, right? With sons who don't want to be adopted. I have experience with that. And I'll share a little bit of that. One of the things God corrected me with the most and dealt with me as a father was that my approach was to teach my sons and my daughters that correction was a means to allow them to approach me. I don't know if I'm saying this clearly enough. Like, like you made a mistake, now I have to correct you, and you're not my son, was almost my approach before. And, I, and instead, I had to change my, my correction to, you are so much better than this. This is not you. This is not your character. And, and when correcting, raise them to the level that you could see them prophetically to be, like, that God created them to be at, right? <clears throat> this is what Jesus was trying to do to the, to the Pharisees and tell them, this is, this is where I created you to be and you are choosing this, Right? It sounds like Jesus needed a place that we could all meet and talk about sonship without our own preconceived ideas of what right looks like, right? In the Old Testament, they had one of those. It was called the Ark of the Covenant, and it was a place that God made to bring his estranged sons from an evil slave master. Think about that for a second. If God knew from the very beginning that they would all be redeemed by Jesus Christ, really... God, with the prophetic vision that he had, if we're remembering what he said in Genesis 3.15, he knew that his son was the only one that could redeem them. So that means, in a way, even though he shepherded them, tried to pick them up, and he corrected them, he had to judge them sometimes, in a way, he really could only deal with them. He could only love them if, when he looked at them, he saw what they were going to be someday through his son, Jesus. So in a way, it was all done through credit. That's kind of amazing, right? It is so opposite of how we look at the children of Israel as they went through the desert and were like, what is your problem? <laughs> like, what? how? God saved you, and you, Why? It really means that when the spies went into the, into the desert and they brought back a bad report, they were saying, God, you were wrong. We're not sons. You brought us here to abandon us. And that was a thing that I dealt with so many times with my oldest foster son, where there's this doubt in his heart that he can trust me. Now, he knows enough truth. I know God is going to preserve him. I know. We get to see him time to time, and he'll run to me, and he'll say, Daddy, God's good. 
So I know God's planted that in his heart, that sonship, and that God can fill that role. And I pray, if you pray for him, just to let him know that God is his father. I love your example, how God fathered you and showed you that he was your father. And I pray that Jay knows that. But there were so many times where, in correction, he would reject his sonship. He wasn't rejecting me. He was rejecting his sonship. I pray you guys go, when, you, when we get done here, go read the, the, uh, the story of Samuel from uh, 1 Samuel chapter 1. And just <clears throat> see the fathering tendencies and the fathering failures and see how God longed to father. We'll dip in just a little bit. The ark was a place God made to bring us away from the evil slave master. Think about something for a second, too. The, the devil technically had a real estate claim to the ground that God made for you and me, right? We gave it up. Our great, great, great times, however many generations, grandfather Adam, like he gave that right up. So... When, when God gave the, the Israelites the commandments about this is how to sanctify this much ground, um, if someone gets murdered uh, within this close to camp, you've got to go, you know, you got to measure that out, and you've got to have, you know, you've got to kill a heifer this far out so that this bit of ground is sanctified. And God was, he was staking a claim in the middle of the devil's territory and saying, this is where I'm going to meet with my children so that we don't have to have a one-sided conversation. And he called this the ark. <sighs> Excuse me. And again, God's perception didn't change. But how many children of Israel looked at that pillar of smoke, that pillar of clouds, and said, that's my father. Right? There was a level of intimacy that wasn't there yet. Let's go to 1 Samuel chapter 4, verse 1 through 11. The word of Samuel came to all Israel. So the backstory to this is this, is this is right when Samuel is starting to grow up and Eli is still on the scene and his sons, but Samuel is starting to have conversations with God. And at the end of 1 Samuel chapter 3, it says that the presence of the Lord was again seen in Shiloh, the place where God's ark was, the place where the evil priests, Phineas and Hophni, and the lazy priest, Eli, lived. And God had a man who was finally in relationship with him again, Samuel. And so he would appear to Samuel. And people saw it, and they heard about it. And they said, we're back. We're back. God's with us again. Right? So listen to what happens. It says, the word of Samuel came to all Israel. Think about how pumped they were, right? They knew what was going on with, with Eli and his sons. They, they knew that wasn't good, and they knew God wouldn't like it too. But they said, look, God's with us again. He's back in Shiloh. We got relationship again. So Israel went out to battle against the Philistines. They encamped, and then the Philistines came up, and they encamped. And they drew up battle lines, and they got their butts whooped. <laughs> right? The Israelites did. They were getting their butts kicked. It said they lost 4,000 people that first day. Why has the Lord defeated us today before the Philistines? I know. 
I remember a time when God was mighty within us. I remember a time that his ark went with us to battle. Let's go get the ark. So they brought the ark. And they brought the only ones who were authorized to carry the ark. Hophni and Phinehas. Through covenant, right? And they went out to battle. And it says the Philistines, excuse me, as soon as the ark of the covenant of the Lord came into the camp, all of Israel shouted because they knew what that ark meant. That is the meeting place with God. He is here. He is on our side. We are going to win. And it says the Philistines, when they, when they heard the shouting, they said, woe to us for nothing like this has happened before. We're going to die. Who can deliver us from the power of these mighty gods? These are the gods who struck the Egyptians with every sort of plague. Take courage. Be men. We're probably going to die. But we have to stick together. Let's go fight. And so they went out and they fought. And 30,000 foot soldiers of Israel fell. And the Philistines took the Ark of the Covenant. Did God's perspective of his children change? Of course not, right? Now, the enemies of the Ark of Israel were pretty proud of themselves. It continues in chapter 5. It says, when the Philistines captured the Ark of God, the meeting place, that place that he said, I'm going to meet with you here so we can have a two-sided conversation. They captured it. They brought it to their God, the house of Dagon. And when the people of Ashdod rose up early the next day, Dagon was on his face before the Ark of God because that's the meeting place of God so he stood him back up the next day he was on his face again except for his face and his hands were on the threshold deliberately cut off there was a message being sent I will cut your gods off and they will bow before my meeting place The biggest thing that God's been putting on my heart about this, about this exchange for months now. All these things we're reading about, the, the, the last three or four years have been huge for a lot of people. There's been a lot of awakening to, to things that maybe we were asleep to, right? That maybe we could trust certain institutions that maybe, maybe we should pray about that and have some discernment. That maybe we should... Start looking into where we send our support to and who we pray for and how. Right? There's some awakening going on, and we should awaken. This is a good thing. But as we go down those, those uh, information rabbit holes and we find out who owns that website and what their slant is, wow, this website's owned by the National Socialist Party, the Nazi Party, right? Like, wow, this site is run by the... Department of Propaganda that's paid for by our tax dollars, maybe we shouldn't trust it, right? Maybe they have an angle that they're trying to promote. And as we go further down that rabbit hole, this is where I'm going, it gets really depressing. It gets really dark, and it gets really discouraging. There, it's really discouraging to have, I remember um, Scott, 
one of your messages talking about, you know, what was wrong with food uh, supply and what was wrong with, um, you know, uh, the roundup and stuff like that. And I remember seeing people leave like they were they were discouraged. Um, and there was nothing wrong with your message. I, I got a lot out of it. Um, and I remember I can think of a couple other people, you know, a couple other messages where I saw people leave because it's hard. It's a lot. I, I get it. I don't fault anybody. But what I'm getting at is this. Without the example of the, the gods of the heathen falling down before the meeting place of God, would we have any hope today? So I hope that you can see the hope of, of Dagon falling down before the meeting place of God. Because where is the meeting place of God today? Say it again. In you. Every time I've started to pray for the last few months about principalities and powers, every single time God has brought the scripture to mind. So pray about the scripture, please. And let God reveal things to you. I, I know he's going to reveal things even greater than this. But this has brought me so much encouragement to be able to say, Isaiah 48 is real. God prophesied this from the beginning. But this is what's going to happen to the idols of the heathen. The ones who choose the meeting place with the enemy over the meeting place of God. Now, there's something else God showed me about this. The men who stole the Ark of the Covenant, they did not make the mistake of not paying it reverence. They couldn't make that mistake, could they? We, if I'm going to relate myself to the Israelite people, we could make that mistake because God looked us at us as a son. And you might not let the neighbor kid come over and break something, but if your son breaks it, you're going to be a little bit more patient, right? But God's patience is not forever on these things for our ignorance, right? Our ignorance can't last forever. So my prayer today is that we see that the meeting place has always been there. I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to go ahead and give closure to this meeting place, to the, to the ark, and what happened to that. It says the men, the priests, the demonic priests of Satan who worshiped Dagon, they took counsel and they took, they took a couple guilt offerings, one guilt offering for every lord of the Philistines and one guilt offering for each major city of the Philistines and they put it in the ark and they said this is what we're going to do we're going to take two milk cows who have calves so we know they don't want to leave their calves we're going to lock their calves up in the stalls and then we're going to send them on their way with this brand new cart that's not broken nothing is nothing is set it should all fail technically all of it should fail all the cows should just go each way nothing should work about this and if they go back to Beth Shemesh that's on the way to Israel then we know we screwed up and this, is, this has been punished. We've been punished by the God, the Almighty God. See, they had awe and they had respect for the meeting place. And the sons, the children of God, did not. 
So if there's a warning in this message, it is that you and I are the sons and the daughters of God. We have to reverence God's meeting place. Or our children will pay the price or they'll have a repentant heart and God will use them instead of us. The, the warnings are, <laughs> they're incredible. But what happened when they set that, that card up is the, the, um, the cows, of course, took off and they went right back to Israel, just mooing as they went. It said lowing as they went. So they were happy to be going, right? Isn't it amazing how much an animal will trust God instead of us? <laughs> we could learn a thing or two. I just want to recap that the men that met at God's holy place, they didn't understand what was happening there. The Father was meeting there faithfully, but they forgot to observe the purification necessary to enter. Because what did Jesus say? Their will was somewhere else. If you read about the sons of Eli, they weren't doing any sins that you and I couldn't fall prey to in the modern world. They were sleeping with women out of wedlock. They were seeking the best cuts of meat for themselves, embezzling money. None of these are sins that, that most of us haven't felt the urge at one point in time with the wicked world we live in to at least entertain. But we have a price to pay for this meeting place. We, we get to choose. This is the meeting place I want. Not this. I'll try and wrap this up. The purification is, I believe, one of the main things that keeps us out of relationship with the Father, just like it kept the sons of Eli. Remember that the sons of Eli were warned several times, and Eli lived till 98 years old. Does everyone remember the, the, uh, the story about Hezekiah when he was warned that he was messing up and he was going to lose his kingdom? And what did he do? Before Isaiah left, he was already on his knees crying out to God, have mercy. So Eli was warned years before. It wasn't until Samuel was good and grown. His sons and him knew, but they chose damnation. We know that our Holy Father wants a relationship with us, and he's going to come back to find a, he will come back to a faithful generation too. We just get to choose if we're going to be part of that faithful generation. So the purification, in those days they had a purification, and for, for, for me, this is again some healing for me, I've had to learn that the law was not just a bunch of things that if you better do it this way or you're not going to enter God's presence. And, and we make Christianity that today. And that's not, that's not your love for your child, so why would that be God's love for you? He's a better father than you are. So listen to what, listen to what John chapter 1, verse 12 says. It says, To all who receive and believe in my son's name, that I'm sending you to all who receive him and believe in his name, they will have the right to become the children of God. What is not mentioned here? 
What did he not say needed to happen to become the sons of God? He didn't say actions. He didn't say anything about actions besides the choice. That's a faith choice. And if we, if we read any of Paul's books, we understand that faith was accounted to Abraham for righteousness. Faith was accounted to Job for righteousness. Faith was accounted to Rahab the harlot as righteousness. Faith. So what is faith? We've made faith almost an idol in and of itself. You better have faith or it's not going to happen. Do you have enough faith? If you do that, you don't have enough faith. By God, if you took medicine today, you do not have faith. So you see how we've made faith a God in a way. But what is faith? Faith is this. Jewel, I'm going to take you out for ice cream after this. Do you believe me? He believes me. He has faith that what I said, I'm going to do. That's faith. That's it. That's that simple. What it is not, what stops it, if, is if a father is trying to father us, and we keep pushing him away. No, 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 I can't be your son. I just, I can't. I can't be your son. I just, I haven't been good enough. I, I know I'm bad. I know I'm, I'm not good enough for you. I just, I can't. And we do that to our Father in heaven. Someday I'm going to be good enough that God can use me. Someday I'm going to get there and God will be able to use me to heal the sick. Someday I'll be able to get there and God will be able to use me for whatever. Stop it. I invite everyone in here to invite God into your ugliest places. Take a minute of time and get quiet with your father. He's already there. He's already with you in your darkest places. Have a conversation with him about him. Thank him for being there. Ask him, how, how do we grow our relationship? Because if the father's already there with you, he's already trying to have a conversation with you. And let me share a couple things that helped me remove the blockages between me and my father. I already shared... There were things that I would, I would do worship differently, right? So that was something that I had to make a pointed effort in my heart when I first started coming here that I'm going to honor God instead of thinking about how I would do this differently. Um, and if, and when, I, when I pray to God, God, help these songs not change, help me change. There's a, there's, a, there's a saying that if everything around you is ugly or if everything around you is beautiful, it is not creating your sense of inner peace, but it is a result of your inner peace or the lack thereof. Think about that for a second. If everything around you is stressful, hurtful, ugly, mean, could it be that it is not actually impacting your inner peace as much as your lack of inner peace with the Father is creating that stress, that ugly 
that rejection of worship, that rejection of relationship with God the Father. I have had a problem with how to kneel and pray to my father in the past. And it took, it took years of, of, of fathering and love and, and forgiveness and emotional healing to say, I have had the wrong image of a father in my heart. So let me pray through a couple things that I've prayed through. God, thank you for being with me. When I dishonored you with the way I lived, when I dishonored my wife with the way I lived, thank you for being there. When I hurt my son, thank you for being there. When I dishonored my brother and sister in Christ, thank you for being there. I'm still your son. I don't deserve to be your son, but you choose me. As you invite the Father in today, I encourage you, Accept him into those ugly places. He's already there. He already sees them. Let him feel the ugly that's there. Let him feel the guilt that's there. I promise, I promise you, guilt and regret are evil slave masters. And a slave will not live in the house of God. Jesus is here and he's saying, Where my word is, it wants to set you free. But you have to forgive yourself too. Fostering hurt, guilt, sins in your past as reasons that Christ wouldn't or couldn't accept you are standing between you and the Father. One of the most amazing messages I've heard in this place was the message of a a father and a husband repenting to an entire audience for adultery. How do you do that? How do you stand in front of an entire room and own that? I want to propose to you that there is no other way. Maybe you don't have to do it publicly to a whole room, but I dare you to. Because a man who is afraid or woman who is afraid of their past will never be free. You will always be a slave. A slave can't live in the house of God. But who the Son sets free is free indeed. Will you set yourself free today by accepting the Father's forgiveness. Another powerful thing that, I, that I, I heard from this same brother was, and I know it was spiritual because it broke something in me, was he stood in the place of an adulterous husband as he was ministering to another woman, and he said, would you allow me to, to repent for his sins? And the healing that took place in that woman's life and God has used this in my life. I watched, I watched people get healed because of this. 
So I'm going to stand in the place of someone who's hurt you. And I'm going to say, can you forgive me? If someone's abused you, can you look on me as if I were them? If you had a father that wouldn't let you be loved unless you pleased him, would you forgive me? Would you hold me into regard as if I had hurt you? And would you forgive me? This is what Jesus did. And this is what he's asking us to do when he said, remit those sins of the people who don't even know to repent for those sins. I thank you, every single one of you, for being my brother and my sister. I thank you for going to God the Father with me today. And I don't, I don't know how to close this message other than to say, the Father wants a two-way relationship with you. And I, it's been in my heart so heavy that if we continue to focus on Dagon and the evil overlords, the evil principalities that are ruling this world, if we continue to focus on them and the darkness and the strongholds of darkness they have, that's going to keep us from relationship with our Father too. So to recap in closing, Dagon, all the Dagons of this world, will bow before the meeting place of God. But first, we have to occupy that meeting place. We cannot allow this meeting place to get stolen by foolish men who disregarded the sovereign place that God staked out and said, that's mine. Well, God staked you out and he said, that's mine. That's mine. I bless each one of you. I thank you, Father. I thank you, Father, that you love each one of us. I thank you, Lord, for healing in each one of us. I bless each one in here for healing. If you have a need, I'd love to pray with you. If you'd like to stay in your seat, I pray over you now. God the Father is seeking relationship with you right now. Let him in. Let him see you're ugly. He already knows it's there. He loves you. He's decided. You're the one. You're the one. He's going to stake out a claim, and you're the meeting place. You're the ark. You are where he wants to be. When he, when he wrote the foundations to this world, and he said, my son's going to redeem it, he wanted it to be in your heart and my heart. I accept that healing. I'm not 100% there yet, but my Father is working in my heart. He is healing me, and he's going to heal you too. And I believe every single one in here is going to walk out a changed person. Praise God. Thank you, Lord.